Welcome to Whitechapel Church Online. You're currently listening to preaching from our Sunday services. We believe that when the preaching happens, that collectively we're hearing the Word of God, and that God's Word has the power to change who we are. We also believe that God can meet you right where you're at, and that He has a Word specifically for you. We hope that you enjoy today's sermon, and we would love to have you at an in-person service. Head over to whitechapelchurch.com to get more info. Enjoy the sermon, and be blessed. How are we doing this morning? We doing all right? Hey, you woke up. You got breath in your lungs. You're here despite the weather. Praise God. You know, it's amazing to be in the house of God with you. And uh, I just want to welcome again anybody watching online. We're so glad that you're joining us this morning. And I believe that God has a word for you this morning. I believe that he does. And we know, we know that anytime we open up the word of God, that it is for us. Amen. Yeah, it is. And so I hope you're encouraged by that this morning. And, and really what I'm going to talk about is, is in line with what we have been talking about thus far this year. And, and Pastor Michael, he gave us um, a commission, really, about being a royal priesthood. You know, that whole section of Scripture from, from 1 Peter, right? We are a royal priesthood. We are, um, we are people who have access to God, right? We do not need... Um, a person to mediate for us, right? We could, the veil was torn when Jesus died on the cross and we could enter right into God's presence. And so I'm going to be talking about that a little bit. And, and that, that, the guiding scripture that Pastor Michael gave us was 1 Peter 2.9. And it says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And you know, the vision for this year is really summed up in, in like three different things. Is that we're a royal priesthood, right? There's, there's a word that, that Pastor Michael has been giving us about being holy, a consecration word, right? Like be, being holy before God. And then the third thing is that this place, our local church, that it would be a refuge of grace, right? And, and Pastor Brooke mentioned that, but, but that we would be a refuge of grace. And so we're going to touch on some of that stuff today, and, uh, and I hope, like Pastor Brooks said, that you're leaned in because, the, like, the Word of God is here, right? The Word is here, and, and we can take this Word, we can apply it to our lives, we can take it to the bank, amen? Like, we absolutely can, and so I hope you have faith for that today, and uh, I believe that um, no matter what circumstance you're facing, that some of this stuff is for you, Amen? Okay, so I'm going to read through our scripture today. It's uh, 1 Peter 2, verses 1 through 10. If you've got a Bible, if it, it should be on the screen, so you'll be able to follow along, even if not. Uh, but it says, Therefore, rid, yourself, rid yourselves of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I'm going to skip down to verse 9. And 
in verse 9 it says, But you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Amen? That's the word of God. Let me just pray real quick. God, we thank you for your word, and we pray that your word would go forth today, God, that it would take root in our hearts, that we would all receive from you this morning, God. I pray that you use me, that you speak through me, that you have your way, God, that it's none of me, but it is all of you, God. Have your way in this time, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so I'm just going to give you a little context about the word that I just brought, okay? So Peter is writing a letter, okay? Like these are epistles. He's writing a letter to a bunch of people. And he is writing a letter to mostly Jews, but there's some Gentile Christians, but there's Jewish Christians, right? And these Christians are being persecuted for their faith. They are suffering for their faith. And so it's really important to know that because of some of the stuff we're going to get into today, that they are suffering for their faith. They're suffering and they're outcasts in the world because of their obedience to Jesus, right? This is a time when Caesar is king. When you say anybody else is king, people are like, oh, you're trying to usurp the throne, right? That's a big deal. That's a big and bold claim. So the people of God, the Christians, they're being persecuted in this time. And Peter is reminding these Christians that despite the suffering that they face, they have an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. Right? You guys remember that verse? It's from the first chapter, so the chapter before the one we just read. But he's, he's telling them, hey, remember the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. Remember that you have an inheritance that will never fade. It can't perish. It doesn't get dingy and run down like the things of this world. It's an eternal promise. So Peter's reminding a persecuted people of this faith that they have, right? And he goes right from encouraging them to telling them how they should live in this time. There's a big therefore, and he says, you know, with alert and sober minds, set your mind on the grace brought to you from Jesus. He talks about being holy. He says, be holy, therefore, as the Lord is holy, right? And then he quotes the Old Testament, be holy, for I am holy. He says all of these things, and this is what Peter is saying to suffering people. And regardless of whether you're suffering today, I believe that there's some actions for us what does this scripture need to mean to us, people that are being called a royal priesthood? That's a good question, right? Because we don't want to just take the word from the first week of this year and say, okay, yeah, um, we're a royal priesthood, but, but, but not put any legs on that, right? We want to be able to define what that looks like, okay? So that's kind of what I'm going to get into today. And, and that last bit of context, right? So if you're familiar with Old Testament language, you know the responsibilities of a priest were very meticulous, right? They had all these rituals. They had these things that they had to do to remain pure. And then once a year, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies. Once a year, this person. And he had to do all of these things ritualistically to make sure he was pure before God so he didn't die in the presence of God, right? And so this happened, and he was the mediator for the people of God. But we know now, I've already mentioned it before, that because of Jesus, because of the tearing of the veil, because of the sacrifice on the cross and his raising from the dead, we have access to God's presence. And we don't need to have this like ritualistic mindset about it. It's an amazing thing. Okay, but you need that context to understand 
that we are a royal priesthood. Otherwise, it kind of just is like, oh, that's weird language. Like, why are, you, why are you talking to me that way, right? So you need to understand the Old Testament. You need to understand that Peter's use of the language is to emphasize the new covenant under grace in Jesus Christ. We don't need a priest to communicate with God for us. You have God's ear, right? You can speak to him, and I hope you do. And I'm going to encourage you to do that today, okay? Amen? All right, all right. So we're going to get right into it. Today I want to talk about five things that define a royal priesthood. So if you're taking notes, get ready. Come on. These are going to be pillars for this year. They're going to be pillars for your life, and they're straight from the Word of God. So um, you can fact check me by reading the first two chapters of 1 Peter. Cool? All right? All right, let's get into it. Number one, a royal priesthood knows who they are. Okay, what do I mean? To be effective in our faith, we have to be firmly rooted in Christ. And to be rooted in Christ is to know who you are in relationship to him. If you haven't got this today, maybe today's your day, okay? If you don't know who you are in relationship to Jesus, I'm going to let you know, okay? You're valuable. He loves you. You're precious to God. In this passage, God calls you chosen, he calls you royal. He calls you holy. He calls you special. Let's not gloss over that, okay? How many of us actually live like we're chosen? How many of us actually live like we're royalty? Did you put on your signet ring today and your royal robe and strut out of the palace and get in your chariot and head on down to the church? You know, we don't act like we're royalty all the time. But it's the truth of the word of God that we are royalty in Christ Jesus. We are co-heirs with Christ. Amen? And it's important for you to understand who you are as a royal priesthood. God thought that you were so valuable that he paid the highest price imaginable for you. Right? He paid for you in Jesus' blood. That's a high price. And you were bought with that high price. Therefore, you are valuable. You matter to God. And when you accept Jesus, you have a royal air about you, right? You can put your shoulders back. You can lift your chin. You can stand tall knowing that you have access to God the Father and that you're treated like his son or daughter. This is so important for us to know. It's so important. God purchased you with the blood of Jesus Christ. You have an eternal hope. And like Peter said, it's a hope that can't perish, spoil, or fade. You're his chosen people, and to live beneath that privilege is a lie from the enemy. You hear me? We live beneath the privilege that Christ has bought for us, and that's a lie from the enemy. That's what he would want you to live like. He would want you to live defeated. He would want you to live discouraged. But you don't have to live that way. If that's news for you today, I pray that that's good news for you today. And if you just needed to be reminded of it, I pray that it's stirring in your soul that you are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are chosen. You are precious. You are valuable. Okay? You got that? Come on. Man, I feel like I could run through a wall when I hear stuff like that. It's amazing. And look, to be a place of grace, to be a refuge of grace, if this place is going to be a place where people come in and they go, oh, man, the grace of God is on this house. It means that every single one of us matters. 
It means that the church, the local body of believers, is comprised of a royal priesthood. It's not just Pastor Jordan. It's not just Pastor Michael or Pastor Brooke or Pastor Gary. It's you. It's you. It's Pastor Ashley. It's Priest Tyler. You know what I mean? Like, we are a royal priesthood, and it's the priesthood of believers that make the the local church go forward. So you need to know who you are. The church isn't built off of the backs of a few and the talents of a few. It's built on the calling of us all. Amen? We're all called to be leaders in the local church. And so there's a responsibility that comes with that, obviously. But you are a royal priest. You need to remember that. You need to know who you are. Okay. You ready to go to the next point? We ready? We got this. You know who you are. You're a royal priesthood, okay? All right, number two, royal priesthood suffers well. What? Okay, we got so encouraged, and then you just smushed us. Oh, yeah, you're going to have to suffer. (laughs) Oh, man, kind of makes me, like, tense up. Like, oh, like you're about to get ready to get hit. (laughs) Like playing football, you're like, you know, like, oh, man, we're going to have to suffer. Um, Remember the context of the letter, right? Peter is writing to suffering Christians, and they're suffering because of their obedience to Christ. Now, if you love Jesus, he says you obey his words. Amen? He says, if you love me, you obey my words. And uh, the world says, okay, you obey his words, you're going to suffer for it. (laughs) There's a price to pay. Look, our lives will come face to face with suffering. If you've been around for, you know, a minute on this planet, you know you're going to suffer. You come out, you come into this world screaming and crying, right? (laughs) You're going to suffer in this world. And listen, these Christians, they suffer rejection in the world because of their obedience to Christ. And, And this is something that Jesus said all believers would experience, right? In John 15, verse 18 through 20, he says, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, right? You're a chosen priesthood. This is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, Jesus said. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. We're not greater than Jesus. The son of God, who was worthy of all praise and honor and adoration, came to this earth and he suffered. Why do we expect that we're not going to get that portion too? And I know that's a hard word, but it's the truth. And we need to take it on because when we acknowledge that we're going to suffer, then we can suffer well, okay? There's a, there's a right and a wrong way to suffer. And the Bible talks about this too. And I'm sure that you've seen it. Have you ever know, known somebody that just, they just suffered with dignity and they suffered with honor, right? There's people in this church who have suffered well. There's people in my family who have suffered well, right? You all know somebody who has gone through hard times and have come out the other side because they were faithful, because they were patient. It reminds me of Job. 
And Job, he loses everything, right? He loses his family. He loses his property. He gets really sick. He loses everything except for his wonderfully discouraging wife, which she, she's a rough lady. You know, she's, she is so discouraging. And, oh, yeah, his uh, very discouraging friends, too. You remember those guys, those three guys that, like, told him, oh, it's because of your sin and all this stuff. And, and we know, reading the book, that it couldn't be further from the truth. But Job, in his suffering, he's, he loses everything. And at the pinnacle of his suffering, he says, though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. Yet I will hope in him. See, Christians don't suffer the same way that the world suffers. Everybody suffers. Everybody experiences hardships. But Christians have a hope that perseveres, right? We have an inheritance that doesn't perish, spoil, or fade, right? And Romans 5 says, we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame. When we suffer well, the Bible tells us that we don't get shame, we get hope, right? Whether you like it or not, suffering will be a part of life, but you have a choice in how to face it. You can face it with the peace of God. And that's the way a royal priesthood responds to suffering. A royal priesthood says, you know what? This is the worst. This is awful. Lord, save me from this. Maybe even spare me from this. But if you don't, yet I will hope in you. Yet I will praise you. Right? That's how royal priests suffer. In the first verse of the letter of 1 Peter, it's, it's the first verse. Peter calls the people he's writing to the elect. He calls them the elect. And he, and he's, he says that you've been chosen. You're elect. And I want to tell you that election from God means rejection by this world right? We're going to suffer in this world. Like the world doesn't accept what we have to preach. You know what I mean? It, it really rubs up against who they are. You won't have peace with worldly ideas when you're a royal priesthood. You won't have peace with it. And by worldly ideas, I mean the thinking and uh, the actions that come up against the gospel. I don't mean like, you know, going to get wings and pizza after service today to go watch the NFL playoffs. That's not what I mean. I mean, a worldly idea is, is one that rails up against who Jesus is and the gospel. And priesthood of believers, we don't have peace with worldly ideas. We don't. If you're radically obedient to Christ, like these first century Christians were that Peter was writing to, if you're radically obedient to Christ, you're going to be ostracized for your obedience. You're going to be ostracized for your obedience. It's not popular to say how you believe about marriage. It's not popular to say how you believe about gender. It's not popular. It's really not. And thank God we live in a country where we're not going to get killed for what we believe. You know, hasn't happened yet. <laughs> not yet. And we can praise God for that. But we know that there's Christians all over the world that face that kind of persecution. We know that the underground church in China is growing rapidly. We know this. And they're under the thumb of persecution. We have to learn to suffer well because we, not, we might not always be living in such 
easy times. Okay? Look, we have an inheritance that won't fade. And when we remember that, we will suffer well. All right, number three. Number three, a royal priesthood remains holy. In the first chapter of 1 Peter, Peter says, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For as it is written, be holy because I am holy. Holiness is a big deal. And as I stated earlier, election from God means rejection of the world, but it also means rejection of the world, right? You reject worldly ideas. That's what holiness is about. It's about separating yourself. You stand back and you say, you know what? That's not for me, right? Holiness is about being set apart, and God calls us to be holy. We're a royal priesthood. We are ministers of the gospel, all of us, every single one in this room. If you've given your life to Jesus, you're a minister of the gospel, and God requires you to be holy. What does that look like? What does that, how do I, how do, I do that? How am I holy? Well, later in 1 Peter 1, in verse 22, he says, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for one another, love one another deeply from the heart. You have purified yourself by obeying the truth. To be holy is to be obedient. I know it sounds like a broken record. It's like, hey, be obedient in your suffering. Remember who you are. Be obedient and it will bring holiness. But it will. Your obedience is what God calls you to. The Bible says that your obedience is greater than any sacrifice you could give to God. It is. He longs for you to be obedient because it shows your love for him. I'm purified by my obedience. What, is the world, what does the word of God say about living in this life? Am I doing it? Am I trusting that following God obediently, even if it's to my public degradation, am I trusting that it will be best for me? That's hard. Because sometimes the faith action doesn't give you the result that the world says you should have. But by being obedient to Christ, you'll get everything you need in Christ. You will. You'll be holy. And to be holy before God, there's nothing like it. And obviously Jesus started that work in you, right? He did. And you're on this process of sanctification. But to be purified is to obey the truth. Another way to look at holiness, like I said, is to abstain from things, right? You rid yourself, like 1 Peter um, 2, 1 says, you rid yourself of malice and deceit and hypocrisy and evil and slander of every kind. You strip those things off of your life. You go, no, nope, that's not for me anymore. I'm not going to be a hypocrite anymore. I'm not going to look enviously at my neighbor's things, right? Like, I'm not going to live that life. You strip off the things of this world. Being holy in all we do certainly means stripping off things, but it also means putting on things. And what do I mean by that? Being holy means putting on good works. James said, show me your faith apart from your works, and I'll show you my faith by works. That's a holy thing. To do works from a place of righteousness, that's holiness. Put it as Peter said. He said, sincere love for another. Love one another deeply from the heart. We just read that. 
When you love each other, that's being holy. So holiness is taking things off, taking worldly things off, but putting godly things on. And Jesus said, us as the brothers and sisters of Christ, when we love one another, we would be known by our love. That's holiness. That's being holy before God. It's amazing because it kind of simplifies what we see as this crazy sacred word that we could never amount to or live up to. But God says, hey, just obey me. Just love each other. Just do the good works that I've prepared for you, right? It gets a lot easier when you, when you, when you just narrow it down to that stuff. Not if I did one of those things really well, I'd be a holier person. I would be. Being, being holy, it, it means being set apart, not just from worldly things and acting, but also for God's use, right? Not just from the world, but for God. You're holy from the world and for God's use. He doesn't want you to just abstain from the things of the world because he doesn't want you to have a, a good time. He wants you to abstain from the things that rail up against the gospel so that you can be used for the kingdom. Come on. That's a word. And some of you, you feel like you're done being used by God, but you're not. As long as you got breath in your lungs, you can be used by God. You can. It's never too late to be used by God. And as long as you're holy and set apart from the things of the world... You can be set apart for the things of God. Come on. God has a purpose for you. The last thing I want to say about being holy is that God dwells within you, right? We know this. God, God his Holy Spirit dwells within us, and he makes us his temple. We are his dwelling place. But we're under construction. God moved into a house before it was completely finished. And that sounds crazy to a lot of us. We wouldn't do that. But thank God he moved into a house that's under construction. And he said, you know what? You don't have to be perfect. Being holy doesn't mean being perfect. Being holy means that I'm going to build this house. I'm going to knock down the walls I don't want. I'm going to build up the walls I do want. You will be holy. You will be righteous. God lives in you. He dwells in you. And though you're under construction, he is building his house. He is building his house. He's doing a work in you this morning. Do you believe it? Do you live like that's the truth? The Lord dwells within you. You don't have to be perfect, but he is perfecting you. He's doing a work in you. Come on. A royal priesthood remains holy. All right, number four, we're going to move on. I got plenty of time. I'm doing good. Come on. I feel good. How are we doing online? You doing good? You're in your PJs? You're on the couch drinking coffee? Stop it. You better be taking notes. I see you. Um, okay, cool. A royal priesthood craves the word. That's number four. A royal priesthood craves the word. First Peter 2, 2 through 3 says, Like newborn babies... Crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Crave pure spiritual milk. At first reading, this might seem like an insult, like y'all are babies, you know? It might sound like that, but it's not like the analogy that the writer of Hebrews uses. The writer of Hebrews talks about 
graduating from the milk to the solid food. You know that passage, right? This isn't what Peter's saying. Peter's saying, hey, you know how babies crave the pure milk that they get from their mother? You need to crave the word of God the same way. You need to crave the word of God, the pure spiritual milk, the nourishment for your soul, right? That's the word of God. That's what it is. We need to crave the word. Are you getting hungry yet? It's, it's getting close to lunchtime. I don't know if you had breakfast or if it was early or what, or maybe you just rushed out of the house, you didn't get to eat. On Sunday mornings, I'm usually a little pressed for time because like, I'm like, I need to get my head right. I need to be spiritually, like, the, the, the switch needs to be flipped by the time I get here. I get here at 8 a.m. on a Sunday morning, and our band, we rehearse together. I get here a little earlier than 8 to prep for them, but that's neither here nor there. The point is, is I don't eat breakfast in the morning on a Sunday morning. And so by about now, whew, tummy's grumbling, you know. I'm ready for some food. I am hungry, you know. And I I love Sunday afternoon because Sunday is like one of the days that we decide, hey, we're going to go out to eat and we're going to treat ourselves. It's going to be nice. And we usually hang out with somebody from church, and we get some food. We get to spend some time with somebody, and we get to eat things that are awful for us, and it's, we love it. It's really good, and we get, we get a craving for it. Our appetite is huge on a Sunday afternoon, right? How's your appetite for the Word of God? How is your appetite for the Word of God? Do you wake up and crave it? Do you run to the place where God is and say, you know what? I need your word. I need to feast on your word. As a newborn baby craves spiritual milk, and they want it a lot. You know, my my nephew, he just got weaned off off of milk, and he wants it a lot. And he throws a fit when he doesn't get it, you know? You don't need to throw a fit. Like, you have access to the word of God, I hope. If you don't, we'll help you. We'll get you a Bible, you know, I'll get you a phone, you can, there's Bibles on it. Do you crave the word though? Do you have an appetite for it? Do you satisfy that appetite when it wells up within you or do you neglect it? If you only eat spiritually on Sunday morning, you're malnourished. You're starving to death. Your soul is hungry. It is groaning for the word of God. We need to be people that crave the word of God. We need to be people that feast on God's word. We need to be people that when we, when we get it, we want more of it. And we go get more of it. This is something the priesthood of believers is marked by, right? Putting the word in your heart. Trusting that his word inside of me can do miraculous things, that his word can do amazing things. Hearing a sermon has power. Don't get me wrong. It's great that you're here today. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you tuned in online. We're so glad that you're here. Hearing a sermon has power. The Bible talks about that the giving of the word, the preaching of the word, it's important. It has value. It, It helps build you up. It helps guide you spiritually. It helps unify us, right? But it's not the same as you chasing the word of God. It's not the same as you craving the word of God. It's different. The spirit will speak through the Bible. 
This is the written word of God. It tells you everything you need to know about him. It tells you everything you need to know about you too. It's alive, it's active, it's eternal. It's powerful, it brings wisdom, it never returns void. It always proves true. It's a lamp to your feet, it's a light unto your path. It endures forever. It is flawless and perfect. It refreshes your soul and it satisfies you. This is the word of God. You need to chase after the word of God. You need to crave the word of God. You need to be hungry for it. You need to satisfy your soul with it. And you need to get hungry for it again. And you need to satisfy your soul with it. You need to all the time be feasting on the word of God. This is what the royal priesthood is defined by. We are people that hold to his word. We trust his word through every season. We trust his word when we're suffering. We trust his word when it doesn't look like it's going to come through because it has never failed. It has always been faithful. It has always held true. Do you believe it? Do you believe his word is for you? His word is alive and active. And inside of you, his word can do amazing things. David said, taste and see that the Lord is good. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Job said, I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. Do you treasure the word of God more than you treasure the lunch we're going to go have this afternoon? Do you? Does your life look like you do? That's a challenge. Yeah, I know. It sounds like I'm pushing you a little. I am. I'm pushing me too. The Lord has really impressed on myself and Brooke to be in the word. Be in the word. Make it a pillar in your life. We're doing this thing called the 30-day shred. What are you talking about? Is it an exercise program? No, it's not an exercise program. <laughs> Definitely not. I don't know if you can tell. It is not an exercise program. The 30-day shred is us trying to read through the Bible in 30 days. I, oh my goodness, yeah. It's about two hours a day, just so you know. And the reason we're doing it isn't so that we like, have this like, sweet, like, warm cup of coffee devotional time, and we're just like, oh, this means this about my current situation. It's not like that. It's, it's so that we understand this is the overarching theme of Scripture, and and I can't tell you how valuable it's been for us. It's been valuable, right? Like, I'm understanding things about the word I've never even gotten into. You know, the minor prophets who kind of get left alone a lot, they're being visited, and they need to be visited. There's things we need to hear about the word of God, and I can see God's plan from beginning to a holy nation to the years of silence, to the coming of the Messiah, to his death, burial, resurrection, to the church becoming the hope of the world, right? Like, I can see that when I read the word of God. And that's where we are. We are the church. We are the royal priesthood. And we need to have a hunger for the word. We need to crave the word of God. We need the word to be our banner. We need the word to guide us through each and every season of our life. And if we only feast on Sunday morning, we're, we're malnourished. We're getting... We're looking pretty hungry, you know, spiritually speaking. Jesus quotes Deuteronomy in Matthew 4.4 4 when he's being tempted by the devil. And he says, but every uh, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
This is your spiritual life to live on the words of God, to treat them as your sustenance, to treat them as something that is going to propel you for doing the things that God has prepared you to do. We need to crave the word. All right. How are we feeling? We feeling good? We, we ready to hit this thing home? Come on. Wait, where am I? I'm lost. No, I'm found. <laughs> Praise God. That should be a song. I think it is. Um, okay. Number five, a royal priesthood worships fervently. You're just saying that because you're the worship guy. No, I would never. I might. But it's also the truth. A royal priesthood worships fervently. Let's revisit our key verse, right? 1 Peter 2.9, it says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That you may declare. That's the big why of this whole thing. Why? Why am I a royal priesthood? That you may declare his praise that you may tell of his wonders, that you may tell the world when we leave here in, in, you know, just a few minutes. I don't really know. Yeah, just a few minutes. When we leave here today, you are going to have an opportunity to declare his praises in your life. It's not just a song you sing on a Sunday morning. No, if that's all it is to you, then you've barely scratched the surface. Your life is worship before the Lord. And being a royal priesthood means worshiping fervently. When you're holy, you're worshiping. When you're craving his word and you're getting his word, you're worshiping. Does your life tell of the goodness of God? Does your life speak of his glory? We, uh, we've been walking our dog around the neighborhood, trying to get a few extra steps in, you know? That's like our version of the physical shred, right? <laughs> <laughs> do some walking. Um, and we're getting to know some of the people in our neighborhood because we walk the dog. Like, people just want to talk to you when there's a pretty dog. And, uh, and uh, there's this guy in our neighborhood. His name is, let's say his name is Joe. His name is literally Joe. Um, <laughs> so we meet Joe, and, and Joe has a fenced-in front yard, and he's got two dogs. And he just like, as soon as he saw us, he was just like, oh, what kind of dog is that? Like, dogs, this dog, 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 dog. He talks to us for like 10, 15 minutes about his dogs, how he's rescued a bunch of dogs. He's had these kind of dogs for 15 to 20 years. Like, he loved talking about dogs, and he asked us about our dog. And, and man, I'll tell you what, within the first 10 minutes of talking to Joe, I knew what Joe loved. Joe was a dog person. Joe loved dogs. And then we keep talking to him, and, you know, he, he kind of, like, vaguely brings up golf. And, and I said, oh, you know, I've been trying to get into golf. Like, I, I'm a lefty. And then he goes, I'm a lefty. Like, and he gets, like, super excited about it, and he starts talking to me about golf balls. And I'm like, I don't know, man. Like, as long as it's round and small, like, I'll just hit it, whatever. And, and he starts, like, he's really passionate about it, and he's been talking about, like, golfing for all these years and stuff like that. And it's like, okay, okay, I know about Joe already. He loves dogs, and he loves golf. And then, like, we're talking to him a little bit longer, and 
and you know it's about time for us to go it's kind of hot and the dog is like dying in the heat and 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 you know he mentions his wife and and Brooke thought it was funny that like his wife was mentioned third and I was just like you know whatever like at least he mentioned her he loves her he cares about her but here's the truth I want you to get it's it's not just a story to tell you it's it's that people know what you love when they talk to you you don't have to spend very long with a person to know what matters to them you really don't we had less than a half hour with Joe and I knew this this guy loves his dogs he loves all dogs but especially his dogs he loves golfing like he moved to Florida 20 years ago to just golf and and hang out <laughs> so he loves it and he loves his wife you know sorry she's third sorry if you're watching <laughs> uh, but he loves those things do people know you love Jesus when you talk to them do people know is his praise on your lips at all times when something exciting happens in your life you can't help but be like oh my gosh have you heard of this thing did you know did you know about the ninja blender it can just decimate ice cubes and it makes amazing smoothies did you know have you have you gone up to people and said hey like we have a relationship did you know what God did in my life did you know how he turned me from a wretch into a into a saint did you know did you know the Lord took my heart of stone and he gave me a heart of flesh did you know have you heard have you heard that you don't have to live in misery that you don't have to experience suffering without hope have you heard of Jesus he came to save and seek the lost and he did it for me he did it for you his praise needs to be on our lips his praise needs to be on our lips are you grateful for what he's done he did a miracle and he saved you he gave you a new heart he gave you eternal security you're gonna be with him in glory forever don't let that be something you're comfortable and familiar with it's amazing it's a miracle it's a miracle shout it from the rooftops proclaim his goodness tell the world what he's done he's done an amazing work in you and when you share the story he'll do amazing works in other people he will don't be ashamed of your story don't be ashamed of the gospel yeah there's gonna be suffering but man it's so worth it it's always worth it praise the Lord praise him in all you do we worship fervently we're the royal priesthood we're the holy nation we're the people of God we're co-heirs with Christ he calls us to bring him praise to speak of who he really is so many people don't know who he is not really they hear ideas about God but they don't read the word they don't crave it like you do they don't feed themselves with it like you do they weren't transformed by God's Spirit like you have been you've got to tell them who he is you've got to tell them his goodness he's so worthy of praise he's so worthy of praise Psalm 71 is the last thing I want to share Psalm 71 verses 6 through 8 says yes you have been with me from birth 
From my mother's womb, you have cared for me. No wonder I'm always praising you. My life is an example to many. Because you have been my strength and my protection, that is why I never stop praising you. I declare your glory all day long. I declare your glory all day. My life is an example to many. That's what David says. My life is an example to many, and I declare your glory all day long. May we always be a royal priesthood that is marked by fervent worship for our Lord. And not just here on Sunday morning. Yes, here on Sunday morning. You can be a little undignified. It's okay. The Holy Spirit wants your worship. He wants all of you. But be fervent in worship when you leave this place too. Live a life of worship. A royal priesthood worships fervently. It explodes out of our being. We're his special possession. And this is why we can never stop praising him. His praise should ever be on our lips. His praise should ever be on our lips. Okay, look, let's just recap. Okay, we are a royal priesthood, amen? You are the people of God. So we are people who know who we are in Christ, right? We are people who suffer well. We suffer in victory. We suffer with hope in sight, right? We are people that remain holy despite the obstacles of this world, despite the things that brush up against us. We remain holy. We trust his word. We are people that crave the word. We crave it. Oh, we get filled with it. There's peace from it. There's guidance in it. There's wisdom. And we're people that worship fervently. I pray that you would take these five things on, that they would be things that mark your year, that they would be things that you say, the next time Pastor Michael gets up here and he says, we're a royal priesthood, you go, yep, I'm doing that. I am a royal priesthood. I've been practicing that. I am working out my salvation. I am doing that every single day. You are a royal priesthood. You're a chosen people. You are God's special possession. You are. Thanks for joining us at Whitechapel Church Online. We pray that today's sermon blessed you and that you'll continue to join us as we lean into God's word together. Until next time, have a great week and be blessed.